All right. Well, go ahead and grab a seat. It's wonderful to worship with you this morning. My name is Mike, one of the pastors on the team. I would love to have you grab your notes out of your handout. We are continuing a series called uh, The Ride of Your Life. And uh, maybe you noticed that last week we gave away a ton of books. You have given away a ton of books. We're hearing some great stories about how those books are landing, uh, starting some great conversation. For example, in life groups all over the area, we're seeing uh, folks working through the group, uh, you know, the book in coffee shops, having great conversation. Uh, some celebrities, you know, have been given, you know, Bono and uh, and Obama and. Snoop Dogg, of course, and, uh, and even this guy, uh, you know, got one. Uh, just kidding, that one's photoshopped. <laughs> uh, astronauts can't read. Um, all right, so no, that's not true. It's just, uh, anyway, let's go ahead and review where we've been. Um, the first week we talked about sort of this metaphor, right, of Jesus' invitation into the abundance and the fullness of life that he came to bring. And we know that there is an enemy that seeks to distract us and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus' invitation is this fullness of life. And so the, God kind of showed me through the metaphor of teaching my son how to ride a bike that there are these five lessons that really unpack what that looks like. The first, which is on your notes, is the lesson of no fear. Question, how come you don't have anything to fear? Because, yeah, you're, God is with us because your heavenly Father is with you and he's holding you, caring for you, supporting you, uh, helping you, right, and guiding you. And, and the scripture is very, very clear that, that Jesus says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you. So that's why there's nothing to be afraid of. Lesson number two was balance. How do you balance? You pedal, right? Momentum, right? We generate momentum toward the things that God is calling us to. We can uh, maintain balance as we proceed forward. Lesson number three, if you're filling in the blanks, is steering. Steering. Where you look, you go. And on day number three, Caleb... Uh, my son, he had a ton of energy. It was just something about the, the, the sky was blue and the birds were singing and the sun was shining and there was victory on the horizon for him. And, and he came out. I said, hey, bud, you ready to tackle your third lesson? Oh, yeah, dad. He grabs his bike, his helmet. He throws his leg over the seat and begins to pedal. And so I'm there holding him and we're kind of going around and I say, buddy, steering is the third lesson. Steering is a great way to avoid obstacles. And he actually repeats those words as he's pedaling, he says, steering is a great way to avoid obstacles, but he's looking at his feet going around the pedals. And as he's doing that, he is headed right toward my station wagon door. And so I literally, I stop him and I lift his chin and I say, bud, you have got to look up because the lesson in this whole thing is where you look, you go. And that's really important for you and I to remember that this lesson about steering our lives, negotiating and navigating our way through life, where you look, you go. And this is not just true in riding a bike, although it is true there, but for some of you, maybe you um, can remember learning how to drive. Maybe you're you know, just out of your teen years. Maybe you've got uh, kids that are in their teen years, you're teaching them how to drive. What happens when you're driving down the road and suddenly you see there's like an accident or something on the side, something interesting, and you begin to look there. Where does the car go? It drifts over to where you're looking. Where you focus, you gravitate toward. 
This is true in many areas. Like even if you think about somebody in your life who's big on conspiracy theories, and they start to research a conspiracy theory, and they go into it, and they, they mull over all of the angles and all the possibilities, and the next thing you know, Bigfoot is everywhere. And there's a government cover-up to make sure we don't know. My barista is a Bigfoot. We don't know. You know it's covered up. So you see what I mean? How about this? Temptation. You begin to mull over temptation and think on temptation and dwell about temptation, and the next thing you know, you're marinated in it, knee-deep in sin. Right? Where you look, you go. How about this? If you meditate and think about the things in your life that you don't have versus the things that you do have, you will land in discontent. You will journey in the direction of perpetual discontent because where you look, you go. Why do you think the Bible has so many frank commands about us being thankful, grateful, humbly gracious as we receive the blessings of God so that we become grateful people, so become aware of all of the blessings in our lives? Friends, I I want you to understand, this is a universal principle. Where you look, you go. And as I was pondering this lesson over teaching Caleb how to ride his bike, it made me ask a really fundamental question. And the question that I felt like God was prompting in my life is, Mike, where do you want your life to go? What do you want to steer your life into And as I kind of process that, I realize that more than anything else, I want to steer my life into a magnificent story. At the end of the day, when I am on my deathbed, I want to look back over the course of my life and know that I have navigated an incredible story with Jesus. If you're filling in the blanks, the first one is that the world longs for a good story. My argument is I think that our culture longs for, yearns for, desires a good story above maybe anything else. And speaking of stories, I do want to start this message with a confession that I am a J.R.R. Tolkien nut. I'm a fanatic when it comes to Tolkien. Uh, Show of hands, how many of you even know who I'm talking about? Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, yeah. I've read everything he's ever written. I've got framed artwork on my wall. I've got Aragorn's sword hanging in my office. I mean, like, it's it's kind of, it's gross. It really is, like, how much I love this guy and, and all of his works. And I say that, I realize that I'm in Microsoft country, a- a.k.a. Geek Central. I, I mean, Elvish is like the fourth most spoken language on the East Side. So I, I understand, but I'm saying I can go toe-to-toe with the best, you know, geek of, of Tolkien. And it goes all the way back to high school for me when I discovered the Lord of the Rings books. And so I would come home from football practice, and I would grab one of his books, and I would disappear into my bedroom, and it was like I strapped on a sword and joined their team, you know, with the hobbits and the dwarves and Gandalf, and I imagined that I was part of their crew, and it was just this incredible... I was such an avid reader that if my parents wanted to punish me, they couldn't send me to my room because that's where I wanted to be anyway. They would actually banish me from my room. You, you get out here and enjoy your family, young man. You know, that, that was punishment for me. 
But I want to say all this because there is a very practical reason why our Old Testament scriptures, so many of them, are communicated as narratives, why they're told in story mode. Because the culture and the history of ancient Israel was transmitted by storytelling. Around tribal fires over many generations, narrative truths were passed from one to the next, and these truths were best remembered and most easily understood and handed down in the form of story. This is not by accident. God is interested in telling an incredible story And we respond to story so powerfully because we're made in the image of the storyteller. And so if you're filling in the blanks, the next one is we are hardwired for story. It's literally woven into our DNA. And you think about how universal this is, how many people love to hear a good story, tell a good story, watch a good story unfold. It's hardwired within us. And we've lost a little bit of this because we live in such a fast-paced status updates, tweets, bullet points, 24-hour news cycle, just the facts kind of a world. But stories move us, and they provide us with a setting in which to understand our universe. They breathe life into our soul, and that's why I would argue that the thing the world, the culture longs for, maybe more than anything, is a cracking good story. So notice the way these beginnings just start to whisk us away. Once upon a time, and suddenly we are in movement towards a fairy tale. A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, and suddenly we're in hyperdrive. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. And again, we're off on adventure. But the greatest story ever told starts with these words, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so begins the true great story of God creating and loving and redeeming. In fact, not only does God create and love and redeem, but God invades. And the Bible contains story after story of how God covers the natural with the supernatural, how he reveals the miraculous and dispenses hope, how he shows up in power to make a way where there is no way, how he provides again and again and again, and how he includes silly, stumbling humans to join him in the adventure of bringing his kingdom here to earth. You know, as a daddy, I have logged hundreds of hours of reading with my kiddos, sitting on the couch with my son Caleb, reading the Hardy Boys canon, or snuggling with my son Doozy in bed, reading the Beast Quest saga, not as well known. And every chapter initiates questions. Why did they do that? How are they going to get out of this one? Will they live happily ever after? Just think about your own life. We love stories that are exciting, powerful, impactful, adventurous. And this is the story that Jesus is inviting us into in intimacy with him. If you want to go back to that bike riding metaphor, think about the person who learns to ride his bike and then is content to travel in circles in the driveway, never heading out into the neighborhood, never striking out into the trails, never veering out into glory. Friends, that's the story of adventure and intimacy with Jesus that he's inviting us into. 
The next fill-in, you are storytelling with your life. You're already doing it. Whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, you are telling a story with your life. You're communicating a story with how you manage your days, how you invest your time, how you engage relationships, with how you interact with those in your world, with how you spend your money. And it's either a story filled with life and laughter and hope, or it's a story filled with fear and sorrow. And you never know how intently, how diligently, nor how often your audience is listening because, again, the most powerful thing in the world, the thing they're longing for the most, is a good story. So steer yourself into one and then be willing to share it. In Deuteronomy, we're told to start with telling our children and our family members the incredible story of how God's love has invaded our world of how the truth of God and the, and the joy and the peace of God, the goodness of God has invaded our lives and invaded our world. And so in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and following, we read, Hear, O Israel. This was to the people of God, and, and that's us today, the church. We're a part of the people of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command to you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the, by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. So we are commanded to tell the story of God's love. We're commanded to communicate his truth in our family, right? To our children, the scripture says. And then then there are some context for it. So as you sit together, say over meals, you're to share the story of God's goodness. As you tuck your children in bed at night, it's an opportunity to communicate God's love. As you rise up in the morning when you're getting ready for school the next day, to remember how God loves and provides for us. As you walk by the way, hey, when you're even on road trips with your family, it's a great time to recount all of the things that God has done for you, right? So there's all these contexts. And then it says, and you're to put them on your hands. What do hands represent? They represent your actions the things that you do, even the activities that you engage in should communicate God's glory. And then it says your frontlets, you're to put them between your eyes. Again, why? Because what you focus on, that's where you gravitate towards. So the more you remember God's goodness, the more you're going to focus towards his goodness, the more you're going to travel in his direction. And then lastly, it says even on the doorposts of your house, the gates, so that even the folks that are walking by and just casually observing your life will understand that it's a story pointing to God's goodness and grace. All of this talks about what we are communicating. You're already telling a story. And that story touches the lives of others. Brings us to this next fill-in. You never know who is listening. You never know who is listening to your story, who is watching your life. So I'll, I'll just tell you, last year, I threw my jaw out at the melting pot. Are you you familiar with the melting pot? It has nothing to do with the recent marijuana legislation in Washington. It's it's a restaurant 
that you pay a lot of money to go to to cook your own food. And so you go there, and they've got these, you know, these fondue uh, things set up right in the middle, and, and uh, they bring you v- raw veggies and raw meats, you know, chicken and meats and fish, and, and then you cook your own food, and, and uh, it's delicious and very expensive, and the last course is chocolate. So you walk out of there with an empty wallet and tumble right into a diabetic coma. It's a great date night. And so I was there with my family at the melting pot, and, and the waitress was there, and she was kind of walking us through the different sauces, and she was like, well, this sauce tastes best with the veggies, and this one goes best with the chicken, and the angry sauce tastes best with the lobster. And I looked at it. It didn't look angry. It looked innocent, like cocktail sauce. So when I cooked my lobster, I slathered it liberally with the angry sauce and popped it into my mouth, steaming. Now, she said it was angry, but she lied. It was furious. <laughs> that, that sauce was one part cocktail sauce, and three parts horseradish, and four parts rocket fuel. <laughs> and when it hit my tongue, it howled up my nose, and I jerked my head to the right and threw my jaw out of whack. <laughs> and the angry sauce just laughed. <laughs> That's not the interesting point. The interesting thing is that six months later, down in Southern California with my family and my sister's family, we're all hanging out at a public pool, and I was telling my sister that story, and about halfway through the story, we sort of looked over and noticed there were six adults on the the edge of the pool listening intently. And one lady leaned forward and said, well, go on, how does it end? I was so self-conscious because I was wearing a Speedo. No, I, I wasn't. It was a thong. No, I'm just kidding. No, my point is that you never know who is listening to your story. You, you don't know who is watching your life. And so it's very, very important for you to wrestle with this next question. What story are you steering into? What is the story that you're steering your life into? Because you don't know how often your audience is watching. You don't know who's viewing you, listening to you. You don't understand. So it's very important that we're steering our lives in a good direction, in a story worth telling. I was talking to my buddy Joseph about this, and he told me that about a year and a half ago, his dad shared with Joseph and the family how he came to trust Jesus. And it was an interesting and and somewhat sad story. He had wandered for a while, and and he'd gotten into Buddhism for a bit, and then kind of got, you know, finished that and jumped into Hinduism for a while, and and he had spent some time in that, and and then he just was kind of hopeless, and, and he had gotten into a depression that was deep and dark, and he wanted to end his life. And so he checked into a high-rise hotel, and he went up, and his idea was he was going to open the window and and end his life. And he said as, as he opened up the window and prepared to step through it, he felt an invisible hand thrust him back into the room. And it frightened him. He didn't know what it was all about, but he didn't try again. Instead, he grabbed a Gideon's Bible. 
and he opened it up, and there was a prayer listed in the back of that Bible. And so he prayed that prayer, and it changed the entire trajectory of his life and faith and impacted his family for generations. So what's interesting is that Joseph had never heard that story, but it became a huge blessing to the legacy and the story that God was building through the generations in his family. So here's my question for each and every one of us today. Does your family know your testimony? Do your children know? Do do your brothers and sisters know? Do your parents know the story of when you experienced first the grace of God? When you began to trust in Jesus? What was your life like before that? And what was the event like or the circumstance like when you stepped across the line of faith? And then how has your life changed since then? You put those things together, friends. That's your testimony. That's your story. And if I could challenge you with that passage from Deuteronomy, your children need to know. Your family needs to know. This is your story, and it's a powerful story of God's invasion of your life and your world. Because again, I want to tell you, stories matter. Stories impact other stories, that that there are eternities that change when we communicate our story. When I was serving in ministry in California, I was a youth pastor, And there were times when we would gather all of our different uh, groups together, our youth groups together, and we would have just kind of an open sharing night where I'd set up the question, would you be willing to share what God is doing in your life, how God has answered prayer, how you see God working in your life? And then some of our more confident student leaders would probably begin to share, and as a few of them shared, then the rest of the room would gain confidence, and, and we would have some testimony given there, not necessarily about how people came to faith, but rather what was God working in their life right now. And one night, we set this up, and it seemed that the room was especially alive, that there were an especially large amount of stories shared. And somebody say, this is how God answered my prayer, and, and this is how God's working in me, and, and I see God healing me in this regard. And, and a, lot of, a lot of students were sharing, and hands were going up all over. And then a gal that I did not recognize raised her hand. And so I, I ran over, and I brought her the microphone, and she said, hi, this is my first time to church. I actually don't know very much about God. I'm just here because my friend Jackie invited me. But after hearing all of the stories about how God is working in your lives, I've decided I want to give him mine. And so right there in that moment we prayed, she received Christ as her Lord and her Savior amidst the laughter and the joy and the tears of her peers. Friends, stories impact other stories. Steer yourself into a good story. There's such power in the stories of God's goodness and God's God's transformative power. And look at this verse from Isaiah. It says, come to me with your ears wide open. This is the Lord speaking. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. Friends, God is whispering his invitation to you to steer your life into an incredible story today. And where you look, you go. So if you listen to the promptings of Jesus, when you look ahead at your life and and together you craft a vision of where you'd like to go, that's the story that Jesus is inviting you to steer into. 
That's the story of your abundance and fulfillment and kingdom impact. Five years ago, uh, my wife Jody and I felt that God was prompting us and nudging us and whispering to us about adoption. And we are so thankful that he did. Doozy is our South African son and a constant source of joy with a quick smile and an open heart. And he's been an absolute blessing. But like every adoption, there are unique challenges. For example, his full name when we met Doozy was Mdoozy Shozi, which is a beautiful Zulu name, but a little difficult for American ears. And, and I, I will tell you this, he's the only Mdoozy in his class. We wanted to keep his first name, uh, which is a Zulu name meaning comforter, but we wanted to change his middle name and give him a new last name, and, and our thought was that we wanted to maybe give him a middle name that would be more familiar to American ears in case he ever wanted to switch things up, and, and yet that presented a unique challenge, because what name sounds good following Mdudusi? You can't just call him Mdudusi Bob. And so my wife and I prayed about that for a while. We kind of wrestled with it, and, and we landed. We feel like God gave us the, the middle name, Ezekiel. Mdudusi Ezekiel Howerton. And, and the name Mdudusi means comforter, and the name Ezekiel means God is his strength. And we have seen how God has poured strength and comfort into Doozy, and how parenting Doozy has brought strength and comfort into our family. And I want to share a little bit, just one story about an experience of bringing Doozy home from South Africa. See, he was being cared for in a children's home in Durban, South Africa, well, well cared for by Liz, the house mom, and the other staff. And there were a number of youth workers that knew and loved Doozy as well. And we were there spending about a week together with them and finalizing the court process with all the paperwork. And finally, we were ready to collect Doozy's things and begin the long journey home. But all of the women and men and youth workers who had invested into Doozy's life wanted to gather around him and send him off well. Jody and I didn't know what to expect. And in fact, there would have been no way for our American minds to understand or anticipate what they had in mind. From what I can gather, the Zulu culture is quite expressive, often communicating emotion through song and dance. So when we brought Doozy around to say goodbye for the last time, there were more than 20 folks gathered around, each of whom had invested a part of their heart into the life of my son. And they began to sing and dance. And it was spontaneous and beautiful, choreographed yet unrehearsed. There was incredible rhythmic and vocal repetition. We asked because the singing was in Zulu, and we were told that they were songs being sung over him, songs of blessing and songs of grace, songs of love. They were singing guidance over him and celebrating his new life, his new family, and the new adventure that he was to embark on. And there were smiles and tears and at times uproarious laughter. And finally, we gave all of our hugs and loaded all our things into the car and began to drive away, waving and honking. And as we drove down the street, we realized that the youth workers were running as fast as they could alongside our car, hollering and whooping with joy. We were literally propelled forward on their cries of love. We were carried forward on the songs of their well wishes. 
To this day, it remains one of the most beautiful moments of my life. I will forever be indebted to their love and celebration and belief in the future of my doozy. We are just so humbly thankful for all of the outlandish love that our family has received. And the point of this story is that Jody and I had looked ahead at the direction of God's prompting, and we began to walk the road of adoption to steer into that story. The house mom, Liz, and the other youth workers looked ahead at Doozy's life, and they envisioned his future, and they gave him the best launch into his new life they knew how to give. And then together, now we are a family, and the challenge remains for us to look ahead so that we can live healthy and grow strong and experience the fullness of adventure that God has for each of us. Friends, that's true for you. That we need to look ahead and to listen to the Lord and then to steer our lives in the direction of the story that he's prompting us toward. I say all this. Why do I think it's important? I say it all because there are some people who think that the totality of the Christian life is don't mess up. They think the whole thing is just don't sin, don't blow it. And that's some of it because sin it detracts us and it derails us and it messes our stories up and it breaks relationship with God. Yes, yeah, sin is a big deal. I'm not winking at that. But by no means is that the entirety. No, no, Jesus has invited us into the fullness of life. There's this magnificent story that is your life that is waiting to be unfolded and, and Christ himself is prompting us into that. In fact, the next fill-in is that God has already planted your story within you. He has already planted the seeds of that story within you in the form of your dreams. And friends, we all have dreams. Regardless of the tenor of your dreams, each and every one of us, we are all dreamers. At Overlake, two years ago, we set up a 30-foot long chalkboard in the hallway, and I wanted to give everyone uh, an invitation to share their dreams with the rest of our church family by writing it in chalk. I, I wanted everyone to feel permission to dream and the freedom to be aware of their dreams. And, and through that experience and season, we discovered hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of God-ordained, Jesus-honoring dreams. And it turns out that dreaming is universal and that it's intergenerational and that it's biblical. And that brings me to the next point, that is God gives you permission Permission to understand the dreams that he's planted within you. Permission to steer your life in the direction of the story that he is prompting you toward. I remember several years ago hearing a man speak on this issue of pursuing our dreams, and afterwards I had a conversation with a young mom who happened to have two small children, and I just said, what did you think about that message? And she said, well, honestly, Pastor Mike, as, as the mother of two small kiddos, I feel like all of my time and energy is owned by others right now, and I don't have permission to dream. So just let me say this clearly. God gives you permission to dream. He gives you permission to understand the seeds that he's planted within you of the story that he's inviting you into. And yes, there might be seasons of our life. The question often comes up, can the story that Jesus is inviting me into, can that get sidelined or delayed or sidetracked? And the answer, of course, is yes, it can. 
One of the most famous verses in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah 29, 11, says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. It's a powerful verse. I highly recommend committing that verse to memory. But even as the Lord is speaking that verse over his people Israel, do you understand what's happening to his people? They're being carted off into exile. What is so powerful about God's timing is even as they felt like their story was being dashed against the rocks, what God was saying is, your story is just beginning. You have permission to dream. See, God is a loving father who loves to bless his children. And part of our problem as humans is we don't trust God's good heart. We don't trust his desire to bless us, and we're not aware that he is blessing us. So we take things into our own hands. And often, this is when we wind up on detours filled with potholes, broken pavement, and dead ends. I just want to say that the seeds of God's dream, the story that he's planted within you, this is to work like a compass. It's your own personal north star intended by God to help us navigate the story of our life. That, that is the story that God is inviting you to steer into, and it's Jesus himself who has put it there. And so this brings me to my last and the most important point that I've made yet today, and that is that it's all about Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Where you focus, you gravitate toward so keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on him. Your life will gravitate in his direction. Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3. Say, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. It's going to get in the way of steering our life in a Christ story. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Please circle that phrase. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. Friends, don't look at the obstacles in the road. Do not become weary looking at the potholes and the roadblocks, but instead look at Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Let his story empower your story. Remember that Jesus... Life, it's the most incredible life that's ever been lived. Jesus' story, the most incredible story that's ever been told. Think about Jesus' story for a moment. Jesus was the healer of so many people. He was the deliverer of those in bondage. Jesus was the hope bringer to the hopeless. He was the feeder of the hungry. He was the calmer of the storms. And most importantly, he was the bringer of salvation. We just read that he was the one who, he endured the cross, sacrificed on the cross of Calvary for sins he did not commit, crimes he did not commit, but I did and you did. And he took our punishment on himself and he paid that penalty so that we might enjoy a relationship with God, experience salvation in this life and in the next life. 
It's the most incredible story ever told. It happens to be true, and we are invited into it. I have a friend named Tony, and she felt like Jesus had planted the seeds of his story many years ago to start a school that would minister to those on the margin, students who were homeless, students who were addicted, students who were abused. Ten years later, there are two campuses of Eastside Academy, and Overlake is proud to host one. We're talking hundreds of lives transformed, hundreds of families impacted by this incredible story as she steered her life in the direction of Jesus. Thinking about my friend Andrew, who's longed to use his law degree in such a way that he might assist families walking the road of adoption. And so now, after dreaming and trying to steer his life in the direction of Jesus, he started the Children's Law Center. And just this week, he celebrated, about a year and a half, two years old, the 109th adoption into Forever Families. And we're so proud as he has steered his life in the direction of Jesus. And friends, I could tell story after story after story that that God has planted these stories within your hearts, that these dreams he has put there, and this is his invitation for you to steer your, your life in a powerful direction, in a magnificent story. Dreams of families living in love and neighborhoods being well cared for, of parishes being pastored by the people of God, of God's kingdom coming to earth in our midst as we serve him and love people. Friends, these are the adventure stories that Jesus is inviting us into. These are the stories that bring fulfillment and abundance. As I close, I I, I want you to think for just a moment about every Jeep commercial you have ever seen in your life. Every Jeep commercial you've ever seen in your life, the Jeep is muddy, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, been in these wild kind of trips, you know, it's like where the road ends, adventure begins. I don't know if that's a Jeep slogan, but it should be, trademark Mike Howerton, that, that you, you know, you've seen these pictures of Jeeps, you know, off, you know, going through these trails and driving horizontally up a rock face and all the, you know, it's, that's what you, you buy into this idea. Oh yeah, Jeep means adventure. But you know people who own Jeeps. Many of you do own Jeeps. And the greatest adventure is like driving it through the car wash or the fast food drive-thru. That's not a Jeep. That's a gas-guzzling Camry. Most people who own Jeeps, in fact, you just might want to write this down. This is good. How many Jeeps sit parked in the driveway of their potential. Now, make it personal. See, at the end of your life, you're going to look back at the story. Don't settle for safe, boring, suburban stories where no one is impacted, where no lives are changed, where you never took a risk, where you never followed a dream. You you didn't fix your eyes on Jesus, and now at the end of it, there's nothing to tell. 
Don't let your story be ordinary. But Overlake, fix your eyes on Jesus and follow his pathway. Steer your life in his direction and understand that that heart pounding, palm sweating, edge of your seat kind of life, that abundance and fulfillment, that's what he's inviting you into. And it's with him intimately. And it's for him. It's for his glory. But it's also for you, your abundance. Yeah. Amen. Let's pray together. Jesus, we don't want to settle. We, we don't want ordinary, safe, boring. We don't want to come to our, the end of our lives and discover that we haven't lived. We, we squandered it parked in the driveway. And so, Jesus, I have to think that right now, with this many hearts beating, that you have planted your story within us. And yet we're afraid. We're afraid to chart a new course. We're afraid to head out in the direction of your call. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come to us, that you would allow us to be intimate with you. Cleanse us of our sin and cleanse us of our fear, our timidity. Cleanse us of our, our sort of programming that keeps us trapped where we are. And find us courageous to say yes to the story that you want us to steer into. We love you, Jesus. We desire all these things for your glory, for your kingdom's sake. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. amen.